0: Welcome back to the Preacher Podcast. We are at the fourth Sunday of Easter and still in our series Resurrection Reality. Uh, so for this Good Shepherd Sunday, we'll be looking at um, how our risen Savior provides Good Shepherding and the reality of that truth and the comfort that it brings. Our participants for this series, Pastor Ben Tomzak from Bethel in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and Pastor John Bergman from Good Shepherd in Downer's Grove, Illinois. And I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. Um, So, John, to you first, how does this Sunday's theme fit into this worship series? We
1: have real hope because of the resurrection. It brings us real blessings each day of our lives. And this is probably what we used to call a Good Shepherd Sunday. The risen Savior provides good shepherding. And that theme, of course, can be taken in a couple of different ways. He is our good shepherd who personally shepherds us day by day. We are the hopeless, helpless sheep under his care. But then he also provides other shepherds who speak the words of truth and love to us. And today we're going to get a good encouragement to test those shepherds, following those who speak the truth in love. And to avoid those shepherds, even if they don't use the name to describe them as that, those who would try to guide us to truth—that is actually not truth. So the risen Savior provides good shepherding
0: Himself, and then good shepherds to help us. Great, uh, that that is helpful, Clinic zeroing us in on the theme. Ben, could you remind us of the gospel and the second? Uh, Sorry, first reading today. I get confused because Easter season acts first reading. So, but could you remind us of the other readings for today, and then we'll come back to our second reading from First John as a sermon text. But first, the others.
2: Yeah, so we get this shepherding theme that that holds well. You wish John maybe would mention the word shepherd in in, in the epistles, so we'd absolutely have the word in all three. But we'll make do because um, the idea is, what does a good shepherd do? A good shepherd um, teaches properly but also fights for the truth, too, against those who are attacking. So we get the middle of of Jesus' good shepherd discourse here this year, verses 11 to 18, where he explains exactly why he is such a good shepherd. Uh, And you got a bunch of bullet points, one of which he repeats five times. I lay down my life. Five times. Five times he says that as why he's the good shepherd, but not just that. He says, I'll stand in front of my sheep, and I will never abandon you to be scattered. I will not. I do not. I have not ever run away from you. I know my sheep. Unlike most of these false shepherds, that's that's what we're going to see, and, and we can see from experience and history um, that that bad shepherds, uh, which we're gonna we're gonna have a fun name for them in our John lesson, uh, they don't really know their sheep well. Um, but this shepherd also gathers in sheep. He says, "I'm going to bring in every possible sheep I can with my true voice, and not only do I lay down my life five times." five times he said that, I take it up again. And he says that twice. So he bookends all these characteristics of good shepherding with his death and his resurrection. So we have that Easter connection. And then he emphasizes that he has this authority. No one's telling him what to do. No one's making him do this. No one has authority over him. It's him, which to me means if you can't tell the difference between Jesus and a wolf or an antichrist, I... I don't know what else to do for you because it's just so plain and obvious. And then we get St. Paul applying this to a group of Christians, a a group of guys he loves so much. He's not willing to meet them in their hometown because he's afraid he could never leave. He's This is his meeting with the Ephesian elders in Miletus. Uh, And so now we're hearing about how the shepherd with a capital S has instituted a shepherding ministry. These lowercase s shepherds. And what do they do? They take care of the flock. They do all the things that Jesus did, except for the rise, death and resurrection for the sins of the world part, but everything else these shepherds are going to do. And he says that you've been established by God in this office. You are an overseer from God, which is all the more reason to say and do what God says. And if you need an extra reason, this is the church that he bought with his own blood. So this isn't some cheap trinket you've got here. This is the most precious thing God has. He spent everything he had for it for us. So we're going to protect it at all costs. And we have to, because Paul talks about savage wolves who are coming. And he says, I know they're coming. This isn't paranoia. This isn't alarmism. This is absolutely going to happen, just as it happened when John writes, just as it happens for us today. Uh, and even from our own number, Paul says, they come from within us. And again, history tells us that's true. Luther prophesied, right? When I die, it will be attacks from inside more than anything else. And the formula of Concord, our are, 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 pinnacle Lutheran confession in some ways that the capstone proves it because every article there dealt with some intra-Lutheran problem. There were false teachings and savage wolves within the Lutheran church. So Paul says, we need to be on our guard. And then he hands them over to God in his word, because that alone will build you up. But if we are going to keep the sheep imagery, it's the word of God that will fatten us because it puts us among the sanctified. It puts us in the sheep pen protected by our shepherd.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Um, valuable context to have. And yeah, yeah, you do see how beautifully the shepherd theme, even if the word is not there, uh, comes through in all three readings. Uh, John, let's go back to you. Could you get us thinking now a little bit about 1 John 4, 1 through 6, and uh, the, the uniqueness of the text itself, and and maybe how it relates to the shepherd and the under shepherds, as you've alluded to already. But uh, 1 John 4, 1 to 6, helpful thoughts for preachers.
1: Yes. So when John writes, his Greek is often very straightforward. It's some of the first parts of the New Testament that Greek students translate. It reads fine, but the thoughts, of course, are very profound. His symbol is the eagle. He soars with deep thoughts, and he uses few words to convey them. And he goes in circular motions at times. So This is not a text where it's just necessarily easy to, oh, there's a nice little theme and parts and this and that. It it calls for some thought and reflection like most of John's writings, but there are gems and and gold in here. The background of where he is writing and what he's writing about, already in the first century, false teachings are are arising. There's people like Serinthus, who is an Egyptian Jew who kind of piece together different teachings from the Old Testament, fragments of Christianity, even pagan philosophy, and that continue to grow and fester like yeast. Eventually, we have things like Gnosticism that forms a little bit more. But why is this important? Because when you start to flesh those out a little bit, I'm not suggesting you need to give a history of syrinthus nor Gnosticism in your sermon, but when you talk about what John's audience was facing, it's probably going to sound a lot like what your audience is facing. Can we really trust the Bible that it's true? Is Jesus really God? Really? You you believe that there was really a resurrection from the dead or maybe the spiritually advanced in this world can become enlightened in some other way outside of scripture. They can find it in some secret knowledge or the secret or this or that all that kind of new age stuff is, is around today but the result of it then is that people do become, uh, they lose confidence in scripture. They look at all of the wrong places and get all of the wrong answers. And we need to be called back by John here to remember, where do we find the truth that sets us free? It's in our great shepherd, and it's going to be proclaimed to us by under shepherds who speak what he says. So, This was written 2,000 years ago or so, but the things that John's people are facing are probably much like what your people are facing today in in many ways. Yeah.
0: Ben, uh, your reflections on 1 John 4, 1 to 6 are some things that might be helpful for preachers to think through. Yeah.
2: um, Not only do we have all those attacks against the Word of God, but then we have the inevitable response, so what? what's the big deal? Why are you being such jerks? Can't we all just get along? Jesus loves me, you know, common denominator theology. Um, Or, you know, is, are you just being paranoid that there's false doctrine under every rock? And, you know, there's the old saying, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean that they're not out to get you. And John says, many false teachers will, have, do, are, they come out from us. So, that we would talk about good and bad teachers, good and bad teaching, good and bad churches. That's not paranoia. That's reality. Mm -hmm. And then John drops the mic on us when he calls them the spirit of the Antichrist. He says, what for many, even Lutherans, is kind of a dirty word, hard to understand, but also such a judgy Von Judgersen word that I can't believe you would say that about someone. So that's what we're wrestling with here, that There is a true teaching. There's one Christian church with one Christian teaching, John says, in his gospel. And he's on both sides of this. He said, and you know what it is. It's God has sent his son for us and and we follow Christ. Um, He's made multiple efforts to say, I'm just telling you what I heard from the beginning, what I heard from him. There are no new words. So this is a letter about being aware of new words. So I think one of the things we want to talk about either here or among ourselves later is Hey, here's why we have creeds and confessions, guys. They're not just historical documents. They they mean something, and they have to because we are called to separate truth from error.
0: Right. Could you speak to that uh, Antichrist issue a little bit in this text? I mean, this is some uh, uh, a word John has introduced earlier in his letter. Um, he speaks earlier of um, Antichrists, plural. <clears throat> and then kind of one that emerges as kind of the epitome of antichrists or anti-Christian forces. Um, uh, Ben, can you just speak to what's going on here in these verses and uh, the spirit of the antichrist that John refers to?
2: Well, first off, of course, um, we hold to our confessional statement. We do believe in the one great antichrist, what Paul called a man of lawlessness sitting in, in the bishop's chair in Rome, because he overturns the faith, he proclaims himself to be God. In Thessalonians already, Paul has said that's a thing that's present now, and be present till the end of the world, so we get this sense of not one individual, so we can discard the whole evangelical idea of a one-world government and one antichrist rising in a one-world religion. There's this, it's, it's really a doctrinal concept, that this Antichrist is getting in the way of God, replacing God, replacing Christ. So now John introduces us to the actual word. And like you said, um, in chapter 2, he had talked about the Antichrist and many Antichrists. Here we have a reference to the spirit of the Antichrist. Um And we want to be careful because then we have it defined as everyone who acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And if you don't, that's the spirit of the Antichrist. If you don't acknowledge Jesus being from God, and that's a tricksy sentence. Um, So we can say John has already opened the door to a broad and narrow meaning. Narrowly, the preeminent Antichrist is the, the man of lawlessness in Rome who sits in God's throne and claims to be God and overthrows the foundation of the faith and says we are not saved by grace alone, which logically denies that Christ came in the flesh. St. Paul said that in Galatians 2, right? You've emptied the cross of value. When we hear the plural and spirit of, we're getting a broadening of the word to understand. Basically, anytime we make Jesus anything less than the word made flesh who bore our sins in his body on the tree, that's the spirit of Antichrist. So that's Islam. That's Mormonism. That's Jehovah's Witnesses who make Jesus less than the Son of God. That's liberal theology that makes Jesus just a great teacher or debates what words he did say or didn't say or what actions he did or didn't carry out, which are myth and which are legend. That's denying he came in the flesh. Um, To rely upon my works, that's denying he came in the flesh. Um, Even a parent who withholds the word from their kids. Or leaves church, joins a church because it's the most convenient, or they're ticked off at someone, or there was a word of God they didn't want to hear. That is the spirit of the Antichrist. Um, it agrees with what Jeremiah said. If Jeremiah would have used this word, he would have been describing him, and I think it's chapter 23, they wag their own tongues and say God said. Because that denies, logically, that Jesus is God in the flesh. So we've got both. It's a both and. Um, the, the true Antichrist is in view but but we see the danger of false teaching as as that same spirit that there are allies as we see in Revelation the devil is gathering as many allies as he can mm-hmm.
0: right yeah thanks for that that clarification there um so thinking about uh law and gospel in this text uh kind of as it is framed for us in the lectionary with Good Shepherd Sunday um what are some points that you bring out in in terms of law, gospel, um, pointing to Christ uh, in this text. Uh, John, some thoughts for preachers?
1: Yeah, just I guess in the uh, shadow of the theme of Good Shepherd Sunday, you know, sheep are pretty blind and uh, not always aware of the danger around them. You know, sheep will sometimes wander off cliffs they don't see very far or eat all the wrong poisonous plants if the shepherd doesn't move them out of the way, or I've even heard that they can bloat themselves to death. They'll they'll just keep eating the wrong stuff if the shepherd doesn't move them. And in a way, that's what John is reminding me I need to watch out for here. To get into some law, perhaps, how often in our lives don't we analyze literally the things we eat physically way more than we do spiritually? You know, is this organic? Is this cage-free? Is this that? Is this that? how much time do I spend looking at reviews of some restaurant I'm going to eat uh, at or something like this? I can spend all this time pouring into all the things of just this life. And then when it comes to the place that's going to prepare my soul for eternity, well, Ben kind of alluded to this before, my sinful nature can say, what's most convenient or that'll always be there. I kind of know enough already, don't I? I was confirmed like, 30-some years ago. We can come with all these excuses to be lazy sheep. And uh, John here really speaks to us. He cuts through all of it and says, wake up. Look at what kind of danger is going on. These false prophets or false sheep, they they have gone out into all of the world. You are surrounded. It almost looks like we're outnumbered. And, And wake up and realize the dire need to have the true word of God and have it regularly and often because otherwise you cannot stand.
0: Great. Right. Further thoughts, uh, Ben, as we think about preaching the law from this text? John's brought up some good points. Any additional ones?
2: We actually are outnumbered, right, John?
0: Yeah. Billions
2: of people, billions, actual billions, not metaphorical, not advertising hyperbole, but billions of people are, are following behind so many incredible false teachings. and And it starts with John's imperative. Don't believe the spirits, but test them. And we're just too lazy to do that because it's work or it could hurt some feelings or it might require me to make a change in my life I don't want to make. Or I'll test the wrong stuff. You know, is the preacher whiz bang? Do they have a lot of kids, a lot of programs? Do I feel the spirit when I go to church? Has my family been there for three generations? Um, And then you can talk, too, about uh, the lack of desire to talk about creed and confession at all. We have creeds and confession, and they mean something. The apostles, Nicene, Athanasia, people died for this. Our Lutheran confessions, people died for this, and and we think they're just paper tigers, paper documents. No, these every Christian church uses the Bible. And John has called us to actually talk about that and separate out truth from error and truth from lie, but we, we just don't want to do that. It's not like that's a brand new postmodern thing. We've never wanted to do that. Zwingli wanted to shake hands, knowing full well he and Luther agreed to the disagreed to the death about the sacrament. But no, we'll we'll see that over. And then finally, just that word "antichrist" is kind of dirty. It's like a four-letter theological word. I've got a quote somewhere I found that some Lutherans call it the great catastrophe of our theology that we would ever have applied that word to the papacy in Rome. Um, I think about a former Lutheran who tried to run for president who was called out for belonging to a church that taught the Antichrist and vigorously asserted my church would never teach that because she was ignorant of the teachings of the church and also knew politically she couldn't you know, alienate that many potential voters. But well. we don't want to use that word. Obviously, you know, nobody wants to call anybody the Antichrist, but we're going to tuck it away. And once you tuck that word away and hide it, you've tucked away a word from God. And John says that too is the spirit of the Antichrist.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, you know, by way of application of these words, um, getting people thinking, you know, maybe avoiding two extremes. One extreme would be um, whenever someone disagrees with us, we label them the Antichrist and villainize them. You know that, okay. Um, No, that's not what we're talking about here. But the other extreme is equally as dangerous. And John uh, has us think about that with these words, uh, just to say, hey, we don't want to accuse anybody of anything. Let's just say everything is okay uh, as as John, as you said, Yeah, let's eat everything spiritually, indiscriminately. That's also a danger. So so no, we're not going around labeling everybody uh, who disagrees with us in the slightest, um, condemning them and calling them Antichrist, but nor are we saying that means everything is just okay. Uh, <clears> that every spiritual message is acceptable or healthy. Uh, shepherding uh, requires some discernment. And that's what Jesus uh, urges us to do. And his under shepherds are engaged in that work. And those they feed uh, are engaged in that work too, right? Um, further thoughts on kind of how, how we apply these words, um, which are challenging in a lot of ways to our listeners or uh, further thoughts on, on where you take a sermon on this text. Um, ben?
2: Yep. Just think I'll let John can get back in, but just following on something you said. Um, I think John the Apostle would have agreed with something President Reagan said in the Cold War here. Trust but verify, right? Mm. <laughs> and I think that captures what you're trying to say. It's we have an eighth commandment obligation to assume someone's a Christian until we have evidence they're not. So mm-hmm. yeah, our job isn't to have this secret handshake that we're in the Wisconsin synod, no one else is for sure good enough Lutherans, but but they may not even be Christian. No, no, no. If they are in a Christian church with a Christian confession, I assume they are Christian. I trust that. But Jesus said to be as shrewd as snakes, too. I will verify that. And that's what a confession of faith allows me to do. I, I'm going to start to see evidence of their um, fidelity. Because a big phrase here is, are you from God or are you not? That's how John kind of poses it. Are we from God? And that's, that's kind of life or death stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so this, that's-
1: yeah and that's that's a good uh, balance to we we identify error but you know as Luther would say right there's a pope that lives in each one of our own hearts so that spirit of antichrist can can beat in my own heart and that's why i need these words not just to condemn right those around me certainly to discern but then to also say yeah dear lord god now i'm a sheep who daily is going to need you to speak to me because otherwise i'm i'm going to go astray so there is there's humility in this as well
0: right right Um, yeah any uh, further suggestions for preachers or I don't know even how do you uh, set up a a sermon on this text uh, theme ideas or uh, kind of what what is the flow of thought um, or any further illustrations that come to mind have you given thought to that yet Uh, and if so can you share some possible ideas that you're working with Yeah, I
1: I guess, you know, not a real tight theme yet, but kind of following our discussion, this first part sounds all pretty apocalyptic and bad and and scary. There's all these, and it is, there's just false teachers that over seem to outnumber us and they're of the world and all of this. But then, wow, when John gets to verse four, doesn't it all just change? And, And this is just gospel but but you you yourselves and and this is just gospel after gospel. You can unpack any of this. You are from God, and like I always says, you you children, uh, you or dear children. I believe he uses the word children or some form of that about nine times in First John. I was probably more advanced in age at this time, and so in, in many ways he is their spiritual father. But I I hear a wonderful tone in that too. He's he's not just scolding us, or God isn't just scolding us. He's saying I'm telling you these things, because I love you so much. And and you are from God. And then just mind blowing, you have overcome them, you have overcome them. I believe it's a perfect there. So it's yeah, done sure. with ongoing results. And the root of that word is, is Nakao, our, our Nike word, right? Victory, you are already victors, because the one in you is greater than the one in the world. And I well, I've been talking about steal too many of the, the gospel nuggets here, but, you know, sheep don't feel victorious or even look victorious most of the time. Right. And, and if I'm a sheep in the middle of some storm surrounded by wolves and, and all this stuff, I, I'm not going to look strong or victorious. But if the shepherd is there and I belong to the shepherd, then I am victorious already and I have nothing to fear. And so we might not feel victorious or look victorious as our stats aren't what we'd like as we feel outnumbered, or as I'm trying to hold on to the truth of God's word when I go off to college, or when I go off to my family reunion, and and these members of my family are going to mock me, or as I go off to work, or I mean, the list just goes on. But I already am, because of the one who is in me and who I belong to. Beautiful gospel in verse 4.
0: Yeah. Yeah, thank you, John. I guess I asked earlier about preaching the law from this text and forgot to Say what about preaching the gospel? So thank you for <laughs> making sure we covered that. Ben, yeah, no. uh, further, further gospel thoughts.
2: I, I I hit all those things, John. Like you said this is like that text we talked about in a previous episode, the Easter. You know the words Jesus used with Mary, and now the words John uses. Beloved, you know, dear friends, it's beloved, uh, agapitoy, um, dear children. Um, you're from God. I mean that he just says it. You know, sometimes you just need to say words out loud. This is like a husband to a wife. You know the, the wives are begging us husbands, right? Just say the words, please. And and John is, um, and, and he's kind of saying, guys, by the way, just say no. I don't think you're the Antichrist because you got Jesus, and and that's huge. And and then um, it reminded me a little bit of a Francis Pieper quote in in one of his sections. I think it's in the Christology section of Pieper's Dogmatics, where he's going over those great terms, all the. Genera and myostaticum and apotellismatica and geez, these theologians like us, I can't keep those things straight, right? And he says, and, and what do you think about laymen and and laywomen who aren't theologically trained? They they aren't spending their lives immersed in the Word like we are. And Peter just finishes by saying, of course they know this, even if they don't know the terms, right. because faith grasps these truths. And that's, I think, another message when when John says, you know, every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God and he's really saying, that's you guys. I know you. I taught you. I trust you. I believe you. You cling to Christ, and when you cling to Christ, you are not of the Antichrist. You're not of his spirit. You're not partaking of him, so you don't need a theological PhD, guys. Not that it's wrong to have one, and you should want to learn more, but it is so clear and simple. This is the spirit of truth, and you, you can recognize it. Absolutely. It's not esoteric. It's not hidden for only a few masters of of a Gnostic geniusness. You have it because you recognize Jesus as the Christ. You know, whenever someone's struggling with faith, isn't that where you take him to? Or do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? Yeah, bingo. Mm-hmm. Here we go. It's just that simple, guys. Right.
0: Yeah, bringing it back to the, the core of the gospel, um, uh, Jesus, God in the flesh for us, living, dying, rising, right, um, for us and for our forgiveness and, and, and life. Um, Yeah, any further uh, ideas for preachers, illustrations, uh, other thoughts? I mean, we've mentioned a lot of good ones already. Um, Anything else? Uh, Suggestions for preachers as they think about preaching this text that, um, yeah, maybe is one. um, I know I've often picked the other ones for Good Shepherd Sunday because this is a little more challenging, but here's a unique opportunity. Uh, John?
1: yeah, just some other encouragement, perhaps in those last verses, too, that uh, John just lays it out there, black and white, that um, if the people if those are from those from God listen to us, whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And I think that's encouraging because sometimes we can drive ourselves crazy at times thinking about, well, why wouldn't they listen to us if if I just would have said it better, if I just would have gone to, this leadership conference and picked up these tools and done this thing and been more charismatic. Now, certainly it's good for me to analyze how am I presenting the word of God? Am I being clear? Am I being winsome, et cetera, et cetera. But I I've known people whose whose children, and it's very sad, but as adults have walked away from the faith and they keep trying to witness, but they just, you can see so much guilt on them sometimes, you know, just what am I doing wrong? And, and at times, It's not you, right? Just just keep sharing that word and kind of playing back to our our gospel from John 10. We we get a little portion of John 10 in our gospel for this uh, weekend, this Sunday. But right after John 10, Jesus keeps bringing out that sheep theme. And he goes on in John 10, My sheep listen to my voice, verse 27. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Um, you think about how many funerals or, or shut-in visits those verses have been shared. Some of those beautiful verses in all of the Bible. And right after that section, in John 10, 31, it says, again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. Yeah. That was their reaction to the Good Shepherd chapter. And Jesus Christ himself was saying that. So I think John is our, yeah. our coach here a little bit, is saying, my, my little children, I know it's sad when they don't listen to you too, but... You are from God, and trust that as you also share and witness to this truth, those from God will find it, know it, and believe as well.
0: Right, right, yeah, good encouragement. Just, yeah, speak the truth. Um, speak it lovingly, speak it carefully, but just speak the truth and and trust it. Uh, any other further uh, thoughts on this text? Uh, yeah,
2: I got I got three. One is a fear we sometimes have. I think sometimes our fear is you know kind of the my country right or wrong syndrome that that I'm just either parroting Lutheran doctrine or you know I'm I'm just you know the guys were in the right team, Jersey and that's that's all I care about, not actually the truth. but no, certainly that's a danger. We want to be sure we're not doing as. We pledge ourselves to our creeds and confessions. are we just is this a mechanical act or just well, because it's Lutheran? no even our confessions say that in the formula of Concord, we confess, and they're confessing about the Augsburg Confession, that we pledge ourselves to these, not because it was composed by our theologians, but because it has been taken from God's word and is founded firmly and well therein. In other words, and that was the plea of the Augsburg Confession, this this is what the Catholic Church, the universal church, has taught always, everywhere, by everyone. That's Alluding to Hillary, uh, is it Hilary of Poitiers who kind of had that standards that were no? I don't, as I say that, I don't know if that was who said it, but that was kind of one of the standards. Something taught by everyone, everywhere, all the time, which is a biblical thought. Jude said that. Jude said that. Intend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Then what you can do is comfort people by saying, "Hey, look at all the ways we're already doing this. All this testing, it's called confirmation, right? Three, four years you spend with kids drilling them in the faith." And then you publicly examine them. We do that as a church body, as we have dialogues with other churches at the at the CICR, in which I get to serve. We have a four-stage toolkit that can take years so that we make sure we believe and teach the same thing. Our worker education program is premised on this. We're going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on a pastor and a teacher before we put them in a pulpit or a classroom. Mostly so we know that they're going to preach and teach the word of God. So don't be afraid of doing these things, John says, and that we're just mindlessly saying, you know, Lutheran, 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 and, and, and some other team is, you know, just it's just because it's our team. Finally, of course, an obligatory pop culture reference. You talked about earlier, John, uh, you know, a couple of times, these forces are huge. They're, they're terrible um, enemies. They're strong and ferocious. The Roman Catholic Church has a billion Christians. Um, most of the Christians in the world don't teach what we teach. Muslims, there's a, what a billion and a half Muslims now. Um, Hindus, Buddhists, all of them—they're huge—and um, but they're going to lose. The devil and the Antichrist will lose because they are always losers. And they make me think of Loki—not just from Norse mythology, but of course from the MCU. Loki, who is clever, and he is alluring, and he is powerful, and he's mischievous but he always loses. He always has the seed of his own destruction. Hmm. And that is the truth we have here, that they have already been overcome by Christ. Um, He is greater. That's what John says. Greater is the one with you and who is in you than the one who is in the world. The devil has already lost. The Antichrist has already lost. It's done. The war is over. Perfect tense, he said, John.
0: Right, right beautiful gospel yeah to emphasize again any any final thoughts uh, before we conclude john uh, yeah
1: just we don't mention the good shepherd specifically in these verses but certainly that concept of listening 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 to a voice or or to the that lines up very well with my sheep listen to my voice mm-hmm. and if you go to that great receptacle of knowledge called youtube um, you can find on YouTube some pretty fascinating videos of real shepherds calling to their sheep. And maybe you've seen some of these before, but they'll have tourists who are visiting the shepherd trying to call to the sheep and the sheep just kind of ignore them. And then the shepherd calls and these sheep just abrupt halt, stand and within really a few seconds start running to the voice of the shepherd because they know that voice. They just know there's something wrong with those other voices and that's an encouragement to people too that as you're into the word of God, you hear the voice of the good shepherd. At times, you might not, you know, Grandma Ethel might not be able to say, Oh, I, I see Gnosticism there, or I see the spirit of Syrinthus, or that, but she's going to know the voice of the good shepherd yeah. and, and be able to follow that. And, and that's what I'll hear too day by day as I'm in that word. Great.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, thank you both for sharing thoughts on um, this section of scripture. And uh, God bless you, pastors, shepherds, as you proclaim this message to your flock this weekend.